We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send peace and blessings upon Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, upon all of the prophets and upon his family and his followers and the allies of truth until the end of time. I would like to talk about a few things that I think are important as we move into the elections. 2018 is very important, 2020 is important, but also 2021 will be a redistricting year. Those of you who are following gerrymandering and what's going on with redistricting of areas, 2021 is going to be an important year. So basically every year from now on, that there's an election is going to be important for our community. And we are faced with some very difficult times in America. And time is something that is so important that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, usually in the Quran, when something is important, God will swear by it. And you know, like what teen was Zaytun, what Sinin, and so on and so forth. And usually he swears by a particular thing, and that's enough. Watur. But with time, unique to all of the other objects of an oath in the Quran, time is so important that God not only swears by the particulars of time, Waduha, Walayli Ida Saja, Wanaha, and so on and so forth, Walfajr, swears by the dawn swears by the evening, swears by uh, the early morning light. But Allah also swears on time as a universal. As if to tell us that every moment, every opportunity that we have is important. And time is, is, is powerful. Time has the ability sometimes to create tremendous sense of anxiety in our hearts. Time has the ability to make us feel euphoric, at least from our perspective. Time has the ability to change immediately how we feel, to take us from like really low lows to really high highs. And Islam is concerned about that because we believe that time is merely a cause. And that that time goes back to the ultimate causer, the only true causer of all things. Wallahu ala kulli shay'in qadir. Back to Allah. And Allah mentions how we go through phases in our lives that will challenge us. Tabaqan an tabaq. Al-Tabari said, hal ila al-hal. You know, we're constantly in a state of flux. Constantly going through difficulties. Constantly experiencing success constantly experiencing challenges in life and adversity. One of our teachers, he used to say that, you know, all of time can be really encapsulated into eight situations. And he was a poet. He used to say, ثَمَانِيَةُ تَجْرِي عَلَى نَاسِ كُلِّهِمِ وَلَا بُدَّ لِلْإِنسَانِ أَنْ يَلْقَى الثَّمَانِيَةُ used to say, you know, eight situations, one of these eight, someone will always find themselves in. حُزْنٌ وَفَرْحٌ Happiness, sadness, being together and being pulled apart. Being poor and having money. 
and sickness or health. We're faced with really serious times in this country and it's concerning to see Muslims affected by time and the events of a certain era in ways that either cause them to be delusionally happy or desperately sad. And if you look in the Quran, there are moments where people should have been like really, really super euphoric. And Allah says, La tafrahu. Like, don't get too happy. Don't get too happy to the point that you forget things. And there are also times in the Quran, in the face of tremendous existential trauma and loss. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Wala tahinu wala tahzanu. Don't be sad about what happened in the past. Don't let it depress you. And don't be consumed by anxiety out of fear of what awaits you. Because you will be victorious if you're a believer. I lived in Washington, D.C. Uh, up until around a year and a half ago. So I was there on election night, 2016. And I remember... Muslims were really, really ready for the, uh, the grand ball, if you will. And there were parties happening in the city, you know, like election night parties, a lot of civil servants and people working in government. And I remember like, you know, around like 6.30, people were like, Alhamdulillah, past the basbusa, yani. And then, And then, you know, Around 8.30, it went from past the busbusa to, yo man, let's just go to the masjid and pray, man. Like people became consumed by the events of the, not that night. But we believe something very important. And that is that we say, U'bud, la ta'budul ahwal, we don't worship time and circumstances and situations. We worship the Lord of time, circumstances and situations. We don't allow time to enter our hearts and affect us that way as best we can because we're all human beings of course. But we say as the Quran said, وَبِذَلِكَ فَلْيَفْرَحُ هُوَ خَيْرٌ مِمَّا يَجْمَعُونَ like with God, be happy. So there's a few things I'd like to hit on, especially in light of these difficult times for many of us, especially our community. We have friends that have been affected by the irresponsible policies of this administration. But I think that we have to move beyond, especially I myself am a registered Democrat. I'm not loyal to the left or to the right completely. I'm loyal to Allah. And I'm loyal to my community. But I happen to lean a little bit more, as we like to say, in religious circles, if this is possible anymore, orthodox progressive. I think that's heterodoxical, actually. But there are some concerns I see within our community that I also see in the broader community that cause me to worry about the future 
of our country. And as Muslims, we, we have to be invested in the idea of presenting a legitimate value prop to the communities that we live in. Invested in the struggles and challenges of the places where we reside. Prophet Muhammad وسلم, when he was in Medina, his focus was Medina. Prophet Muhammad وسلم, when he was in Mecca, his focus was Mecca. I still don't believe that the broader Sunni Muslim community has truly crafted a strategy for healing America in a post-Obama, post-Trump era. And we definitely have the brain capabilities of thinking strategically about healing America and being those who are concerned with healing America and recognizing some of the obstacles in the process of healing America. But we're healers. The Quran is called Shifa, a healer. And we know that we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is Shafi', the one who heals. And we believe that ultimately the redeeming value prop of a Muslim given in any place, in any community, is that they call to the truth, they speak out against immorality, they demand justice, and they leave the door of redemption open to people. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran says, Ud'u ila sabiri rabbik, call to God. Standing for justice, kunu qawwamina bil qisti shuhada alillah. Stand constantly as an ally to justice. Speaking out against immorality. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that very clearly, Don't mix truth and falsehood. You are the best community that calls to good and rebukes and reminds people in a prophetic way of the dangers of immorality and evil. And then in the last redemption, and this is extremely important in today's time, we see that the greatest adversaries of Prophet Muhammad were given the opportunity for redemption. Allah says about the people who tried to kill Muhammad, that if they repent and they reform and they establish prayer and they pay alms, they are your family in religion. Redemption. In light of that, I want to touch on a few things that may be misunderstood. So let me just say that if you've understood it in a way that makes you angry at me, then you misunderstood me. The first is that we need to be very careful about how, how identity politics are being used on both the right and the left. The left after the 1960s, and I say this respectfully, has become tethered to cultural concerns and social concerns. Whereas the left prior to that, although it failed black people, 
There's no doubt about that. And it failed women and failed people of color and hooked my folks up. Because white, white converts, either were gonna be Moses in the house of Pharaoh or Judas with Christ. But prior to the 1960s, the left gave us things like women's sovereignty, which was mentioned earlier in the 1920s. Gave us the New Deal under FDR. Presented a robust economic package after a post-war economy was shattered that put people back to work, the WPA. The, the left prior to the 1960s was far more worried about politics than it was identity and cultural leanings. The attitude to, of the left was, you can be what you want to be, just don't make me be who you are. I would argue that now, the left is too tethered to issues of identity. And that doesn't mean also that we don't stand up for the marginalized, and that doesn't mean that we don't stand up for people that ha are being hurt by power. That's prophetic. Every prophet has to walk through the footsteps of Moses. And every community has to walk through the footsteps of Moses. But if we continue to push identity as an agenda, then no one wins because at the end we'll all be fighting each other. Ahmed Shoki is a great Egyptian rap artist. He's a great Egyptian poet. He has a poem that kind of exemplifies this theory that I'm sharing with you. And that is, he talks about the boat of Prophet Nuh, Noah, the Ark of Noah. He says, That when Prophet Noah finished building his boat, it began to be moved by an incredible force. And at that moment, there were waves like the size of mountains and this incredible fear overtook the occupants of the ark. He said it became so terrifying that the lion and the donkey made peace. That the cat and the rat became boys. Like the cat went to the rat and said, forgive me man, all those years, and the cat said, and the rat said, no, but I taste good. It's all good. I understand. I taste good. We can still be friends. So in the face of this real existential threat, identities were lost and common passions and concern took to the forefront and they were able to work together against a greater threat. And that's why Shoki says in another poet, poem like if you run from what scares you and you allow yourself to be divided you may accidentally fall into what's more dangerous for you and I believe that this is one of the games of postmodernity in particular is to create a never-ending labyrinth of identity until we begin to judge each other and base our understandings of each other not on the cores of our souls and the true behavior that we exhibit, but that we look each other, look at each other, and our mere appearance, our, our mere preferences, allow me to claim that I can completely judge you. And this has impacted the left in a way that has made us intolerant of each other.
to the point where maybe someone on the left who's religious says, listen, I don't necessarily agree with these things, but I can still work with you. And someone will say, nope, that's it. I can't work with you, ma'as-salama. Or on the other side of it, someone will say, listen, religious folks, I'm not down with all that stuff, but this dude, this president, What's happening in Dhaka? What's happening in the face of the absence of prison reform? What's happening in drones and a foreign policy that's replaced diplomacy with aggressive war-type tactics as young children, children of color, continue to be murdered in the streets? I think we can work together on those issues. And why am I saying this? Because Muslims we cannot say that we're not infected with the identity virus. Brother, you want to go to the white boy masjid from Oklahoma? Would you like to go to the Pakistani masjid? Palestinian masjid? We've allowed these things to seep into our hearts because many of us have honestly, and I can say this, been affected by a post-colonial hangover, a man that needs a virgin Bloody Mary to get our eyes clear. So we find ourselves in our own community. The first time I ever went to a mosque as a convert at the age of 20 years old, they were praying two asrs in one mosque. And I said to the brother, man, I didn't read about that in the pamphlet. The pamphlet said we all loved each other. He's like, no, nah, man, those brothers right there, they're not even Muslims. I was like, but I thought, I, what did I just convert to? I just left the Bloods. Now I'm joining the Crips. And he said to me, those people are People's Party. We're MQM. I said, what is People's Party? He said, these are two political movements in Southeast Asia. Man, mashallah, I learned more about Southeast Asian politics that afternoon in Oklahoma, because I'm from Oklahoma, than my whole life. But perhaps we could take a lesson on the disease that fails to galvanize us on the left to go out and register to vote. Fails us to stand up and really take policy making seriously. Supporting care seriously, but if we feel that our identity or someone else's identity has been violated, we get really passionate about it. That's great. But if I'm out screaming about identity, but I'm not working at the structural level to change injustice that impacts identities, I am a walking contradiction. So one of the things I think we should think about as a Muslim community within our own framework, I'm speaking about us as a family, is how identity politics, we know this in this country, has wrecked our institutions, has wasted our resources, has rendered us at times weak in the face of no religion in America has gone through the bigotry, the racism, the bias, structurally, and culturally, like Islam has in the last 50 years. Yet we still have the luxury to argue and fight over issues. And now I see it within the left. The right plays identity politics well. The right has its own identity politics. 
but it's been able to militarize its concerns as we heard recently that there'll be violence if the left wins, there'll be violence if you know, we lose the House, there'll be violence if we lose the Senate, able to, to stoke a, a, a unsupported, irresponsible sense of hatred, whereas we on the left are busy doing that with each other. Whereas perhaps we should reflect on what President Obama said in 2004. What pulls us together is stronger than what pulls us apart. I'm by no means encouraging us to ignore the importance of these things. But if they're going to be counterproductive, then perhaps we should leave them to the side for a minute and work on bigger agenda issues and then agree to speak and work through those things in the future. I say this why? You look at Prophet Muhammad the my speech is so good, I guess I give him firecrackers. Wow, Woo, my ego's waxed right now. Or we're about to die. If we look at the Prophet Muhammad's message, we find in Mecca and we find in Medina that he was able to temper notions of identity on steroids and encourage and teach people to see common aspirations that allowed them to work through their identity issues as they worked to rectify and change society. The second thing I think it's very important for us to think about. So the first is as a community, man, we need to start just like loving each other. You know how many sisters I had this Ramadan call me and say that Ramadan triggers anorexia? Like does, the sisters call me from really far away. I'm like, do you have anyone you can talk to? It's like, I just need someone to love me, man. Like just platonic love. Like I don't have anyone I can talk to this about. I met a brother yesterday who's a convert, who's actually from Florida, subhanAllah, a very beautiful man. And he said to me like, I've been ostracized by my family. The Muslim community thinks that I want to marry their daughter, so nobody talks to me. And he said, Imam, I just feel broken. I just hugged a brother, man. This grown man, he started crying. I had a father yesterday who called me who was dealing with teenage pregnancy in his home. He said, what should I do with my daughter? I said, you should love her back to Allah. Love her back to God, man. He's like, I, my first impulse is not to speak to her anymore, to throw her out, khalas, bibalash. I said, if you do that, who wins? So we have to think about being a community that loves each other and gives each other the opportunity for redemption. Everybody here makes mistakes. All of us make mistakes. My wife, mashallah, she has a mawsu'ah, akhtat suhaibiyya. Yani alif ila zay. She didn't finish ya, she's still working on ya. Because ya fi'l mudari, ya ta'akhar, ya nam, ya kul, ya ta'kallam. Second thing, is I think we as a religious community have to begin to worry first and foremost about America. It is a shame that till now, and Imam Johari, you correct me, I have not seen one mosque in America with a Black Lives Matter sign in front of it. I found one, I found one. You found one, that don't count. One. one doesn't count. Ashad yuhfav wala yuqas alayhi. One? We have to begin to think about what is our religious agenda for our partners that we work with. And oftentimes because we lack
people or we don't engage people who are out there in the political sphere. We don't have perhaps a vocabulary to speak on issues. Or we're not consulting people like Hassan or people like Imam Johari or people like Sister Dadia Mugahed and other people. But I think honestly that if we're going to be true partners on any side of the fence that you want to be on, the right or the left, I think there's a few agenda items that are very important to the Muslim community that force us to think beyond just theology. Yesterday I was leading the Juma prayer and I tested something out. I told my wife, I said, baby, watch this. She said, what? I said, watch the dua I'm going to make. She said, okay. Thought I was going to make dua for her. No. I make dua for you all the time. I said, oh Allah, help this country and that country and these people and these people. Bless these people. Bless these. I mean, I mean, I mean. I said, oh Allah. Please help us get rid of plastics from our home so that we can truly be allies to this beautiful earth that you've given us. And people won't like this. Ah, ah. <laughs> I said, oh Allah, make us allies to black America. Ah. Oh Allah, let us open up our mosques to be shelters for those people who have been forcibly separated from their children. They're saying now 570 some on children may never be returned to their parents. And then she said, what happened? I said, when you ask people to make dua about something that they actually can do, they stop and think about it. They actually, hold on, I got to do that now. Oh Allah, please protect us from the NFL. Supporting the NFL is equivalent to being a friend to slave owners and plantation owners in the dirty south. People said, ah, I don't know, I like, I like Tom Brady. You ask people to pray for what they got to do, they think about it because they know if I say I mean, I say, oh Allah, please keep us from the evil of Friday night. All those new freshmen at NYU. Ah, I don't know you could go like that. Like. But let's talk about the real work we can do in America to interject the values of our faith into America and to be partners for America. Number one is we should be fighting and standing up in a religious voice unconditionally against any law that contributes to voter suppression. The Muslim voice has to be in that place. Why? The large number of Muslims who are coming out of being incarcerated and not allowed to vote, Muslims who are in this carceral state, America is not mass incarceration. If you're a person of color, this is hyper-incarceration. We outnumber the next country closest to us with the number of people incarcerated, not even close, we're six times greater than anyone else. When President Clinton, from the left, got out of office, the number of people in prison in America rose 60%. So that takes us to the second thing that we should worry about, prison reform and criminal reform. The penitentiary, we have, I see, some people of, of our Christian tradition here. The penitentiary is a place of penance. It's a place of redemption, not a place of permanent guilt. 
prison reform, going after laws and sentencing guidelines that target people of color in this country is where Prophet Muhammad will be at. Not arguing about what kind of meat or how long your thobe is or what sheikh you follow. That is some ratchet religious nonsense. Third thing, antitrust laws. We only have four carriers in this country right now, telephone carriers. Consumers no longer have a choice. How many of you hate Comcast for the sake of Allah? <laughs> I hate Comcast, man. But in New York City, in New York City, my wife and I moved through, she said, baby, we're going to some cable going on in New York City. Called up Spectrum, who was just bought by a major corporation in Comcast. I believe if I go to hell, may God protect me. One of my punishments will be to sit on the phone with a Comcast operator. <laughs> I'm serious. That and American Airlines. Sorry. Or to watch Florida beat Oklahoma, 2006. That was tough, man. 2008, I wanna forget, I don't care. It's my trauma, redemption. Point is, antitrust laws are being weakened. Subsidies for major corporations are being increased. But Head Start is threatened. Welfare is threatened. After school programs for kids who need to have time at a library or time in a community rec center is threatened so that we can continue to subsidize major corporations in this country. Are we not the ummah of waylul lil mutafifin? But we're busy on arguing about other issues. Environmental resilience. Everyone in here should pledge to Allah to go zero waste. Everyone in this room right now, whether it's in the name of Allah or any religious tradition you follow, or if you don't believe in a religious tradition, to go zero waste. Get plastics out of our life. Foreign policy. We've seen over the last year a foreign policy that replaces diplomacy with military aggression and economic bullying. Our voice on that is important. Forcing Palestinians, who are already some of the most malnourished human beings. I lived in Egypt, man. I saw people coming across on Rafah. I saw what hunger looks like when I looked in the face of Palestinian mothers. There's a host of things that we can get into. Immigration, DACA, education, student loans, Wall Street, the environment I already mentioned, criminal justice reform I already mentioned, the prison system, and whether we believe it or not, all of those things impact our community. And now in an age of Islamophobia, explicitly impact our community. The sentencing guidelines that were passed in, 19, passed in 1996 under Clinton to prosecute drug dealers were used to prosecute people accused of terrorism cases in America, the majority of which were Muslims. The Muslim ban is not the first Muslim ban in this country. The first Muslim ban happened in 1508 when the Spanish said, take these Senegalese Sufi sheikhs 
and get them out of the Dominican Republic and get them out of Haiti because they're converting the populace and they have continued to leave slave revolts. Liberation theology did not begin with the Catholic Church. It began with Muslims in the 16th century who rose up to the extent that the Spanish had Muslims banned from the Western Hemisphere in 1508. And that takes me to my last point. And there's two points in the last point, so I tricked you. But number one is, and I want us to understand something. I'm not against looking after people who are the victims of privilege and supremacy. I'm down with that. That's my responsibility as a white man in this country to disinvest from my own privilege and then be allies to people who my folks are hurting. At the same time, Understanding that I got to find commonality with people to the point where I don't just say, you know what, I don't like Imam Johari because he's from PG County, so I'm never going to talk to him again. But me and Imam Johari, and this is the cute word, everybody loves it now, may have some tremendous intersectional ability that I am ignoring by discounting him from my life. No human being is irredeemable. And no human being, for the most part, for the most part, can be completely cast to the side. The second thing I talked about are what are some agenda items? And we got young people here, they know what's going on, man. Thinking about reform at the criminal justice level, the prison system, antitrust issues, subsidizing major corporations. We should be deeply embedded with labor unions. A black man in this country who works with a union makes 28% more than a black man who doesn't. Why is it that we see now unions have become the object of so much visceral? Because it was traditionally the unions who supported who? The left. And understanding that we have a responsibility as the Prophet Muhammad said, that the worker should be paid before the drop of sweat from his head, his brow, hits the ground. So partnering to strengthen the voice of people who are struggling. And that allows us to move beyond identity politics into real politics. There's a great book you should read called Strangers in Their Own Land. It talks about poor white people down south in Louisiana, man. Well, sort of down south, depending where you are. And who talk about why they suddenly shifted from being traditional Democrats to suddenly going with this guy. And Richard Rorty, he, he, he reminded of this in 1998. Brilliant philosopher, he said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, that if the left allows itself to be consumed with the postmodern theories of identity that were cooked in the classrooms of UC Berkeley and NYU and Stanford and wherever, they will create so much division amongst themselves that they will no longer be able to serve the poor class of the left. And the people, I'm paraphrasing, and the people who are poor from the left will become frustrated. And when they realized in the face of globalization, and now you have AI on the horizon, this AI business, it's going to take a lot of people's jobs. Where, what's our position in uniting with people of faith? 
to protect people from being pushed out of the job market, which will lead to a rise in crime, instability in society, and also we know that when people struggle financially, it's hard for them sometimes to focus on their religious responsibilities. We have to think this way. Not just where's to eat in is Sammy Yusuf halal. Our kids are not listening to Sammy Yusuf, man. They listen to Flo Rida. And they all know that Mac Miller died two days ago. God protect us. But he said something that touched me when he wrote that if the left allows itself to be consumed by identity politics and fails to find what President Obama talked about, common aspirations, they will no longer be able to serve the most vulnerable on the left. And those people who are vulnerable will begin to suffer under globalization and suffer under things like NAFTA. And now you put AI in the mix. You put these tech conglomerates in the Bay Area, Palo Alto into the mix. Until, and this is what he said, until they find a great white hope who will bring them a sense of dignity and leadership and they will support him. Man, his words are telling. Regardless of the values being aligned. That's why one out of four Trump voters right now, if you ask them, are you a Democrat or Republican, what do you think they say? I'm a Democrat. What? Their issue wasn't about maybe what we think it is. It's about real politics, looking after the needs of people, making sure that they feel cared for. And the Muslim community, like every other faith-based community in this country, has to somehow think about what's important in the community it serves, not the whole agenda I just mentioned. That's the job of government. But this is the state, I believe, of Trevon Martin. This is the state where George Zimmerman has threatened to kill Beyonce and Sean Carter. This is a state that still rocked by a very, very sick form of bigotry and racism. And look how diverse our community is. And the last point is redemption. We need to give people the opportunity to repent, to amend their ways, to offer them that opportunity to come back. The Christian tradition, my grandfather was a Christian preacher, the Church of Christ. I grew up in a church house in Tonkawa, Oklahoma. I can see, I'm let, I got a little light, I'm going to let it shine. I can sing, our God is alive, and I can repeat, I think, a little bit of the New Testament. But my grandmother would kill me if I said revelations instead of revelation. But you have the tradition of the prodigal son. We also have traditions of people who committed great sins, great negligence, and came back and found greater mercy and redemption. And finally, none of that can happen if we're not defending ourselves structurally. I consider CARE one of those few, few, few folks that invites me and I just go. Brother, do you want to know the details of the contract? I don't care. I mean, I do care, but not that kind of care. I care because I don't care. See that? More, more bars than Nas. So all I want to encourage you to think about is that if you're not defended structurally, 
and you don't have people taking on real struggles like today, man, this is a great, great, great announcement. I'm surprised, man. I, I, I texted a bunch of you moms. Shibley just said, Democratic Party is gonna work on reissuing a statement that shows their commitment to free speech and tolerance. We all know what that means. That's very powerful. And that's a tribute to the great community you have that supports care, that is able to do that work. But, as Imam Shafi said, and I promise I'm done, but I've come from a far off land, from a man whose name will not be said. Shafi said, if I'm busy thinking about staple food, I can't serve people. Brothers and sisters, please, I'm going to ask you one more time. I'm a horrible fundraiser. But we need to raise more money for care tonight than we've raised, man. Because this is everything I'm talking about, rest after God, rest on our ability to take on the structural challenges our community faces, the legal challenges our community faces, to take on the battles in the courtrooms, to hold power accountable. Because while America is certainly a history in the minds of the postmodernist of a perfect power, in the minds of a realist, for much of its history, the citizens of America have had to invest in protecting themselves from that power, if it's unchecked. Thinking about putting aspirations that are shared first. Thinking about an agenda for the communities that we serve. Number three, thinking about the ideas of redemption and concern. And number four, supporting groups that are working at the structural level to protect our rights as citizens. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah.